Houston Rallies is a movement created by the Lee Group, a Houston-based advertising agency, to help make a difference for the many other small businesses that are the heartbeat of our city. The Lee Group fully understands the struggles and trials involved with running a small business in one of the most competitive markets in the world. The Houston Rallies podcast, created in partnership with Radio Lounge, is a hub of information and inspiring stories directly from the small business owners that make Houston the great city that we all call home. From interviews with movers and shakers to thought pieces on best practices for advertising your business's specific services, Houston Rallies is your destination for advertising insight and inspirational ideas. Hi, I'm Natalie Barron, and you're listening to Houston Rallies. Hey, this is Mark Pereira with The Lee Group. Thanks for joining us on the Houston Rallies podcast today. Today on the podcast, we're very excited to have one of my dear friends, Natalie Barron, with us. I've had the joy of working with Natalie on several different accounts, and I'm constantly learning from her, not only from a public relations standpoint, but from a client relationship standpoint, an organizational one, a professionalism one, the list goes on and on. We don't even work together anymore, and I'm still learning from her. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mark. So Natalie, having worked with you for two years, I know that one of your biggest sticking points has always been that not a lot of people could really define what public relations is <laughs> So, and, and what public relations professionals do. So can you do that for us now? Yeah, absolutely. I think people struggle with defining public relations because what a PR professional does, the limit does not exist. <laughs> so it, you wear so many different hats as a person that works in public relations that I think people have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. Um, probably in the simplest of terms, PR professionals connect a brand with the public. That is the very basic basis of public relations. And um, I think to be successful, a PR professional has to do much more than that. That is just step one, <laughs> connect with the public. But I mean, you really need to immerse yourself into that brand, into the company, really truly believe the messaging you're pitching and selling and delivering to the public. Yeah. And, and I think having done this Houston Rallies campaign um, that we've been doing for the past 10 weeks, I a little bit borrowed a public relations hat for a while and it's exhausting. <laughs> it's I mean, it's a relationship job and you have to, you can't just stumble your way into a relationship with these media people. You have to have had years of experience with them. How do you even, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's just constantly networking. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a huge part of public relations uh, is staying on top of what the news is saying and what the reporters are covering. Uh, you know, these reporters, their their beats always change, their topics change. And you may think, you know, at one point that, hey, I have the best reporter in mind for this pitch, this idea, uh, you know, that we're going to just crush it right now. But they may not be even covering that topic anymore. So when you go to pitch them and you send them this and you get that message back, like, oh, this isn't even what I cover anymore. Do you even know what I'm doing? <laughs> you know, how embarrassing. <laughs> and so there, there's so many elements of public relations. That, you know, Again, going back to that completely immersing yourself in a brand. Did I ever think I would know what the last dreadnought was and why we need to save it? No, shout out Battleship Texas. 
<laughs> but here we are. Did I ever think I would know the difference between Wagner and Puccini? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm still learning, but, you know, those are the types of things that really separate PR professionals. When you really, truly immerse yourself in a brand, and you don't have to be in-house to do that. You could work at an agency and become a little mini expert on all of these different topics. And that's what's going to make you the good PR professional. That's going to help you drive those relationships, not only with reporters, but producers, you know, you know, different people throughout the industry that can help you have a leg up. So, yeah, I, I think you really hit it. Um, public relations has a lot of networking in it. Yeah, and I think one of the things I always remember working with you is that it's it's almost just like you said, you immerse yourself in the brand. And so it's like, man, Natalie is really all about Texas history. That's awesome. I didn't know that. And then it's like, it's a new client. Natalie is really all about ear, nose, and throat. That's great. And so it's like, no, <laughs> but from a professional standpoint, absolutely. Oh, well, yeah. Even if you are just scratching the surface of a topic. If you speak confidently about it and you hit those key talking points, people will believe you and want to know more. And that's when you then connect them to the actual expert. <laughs> you know, I think PR is everyone just kind of put, puts it in this weird little box. Like, oh, it's just media relations or it, it's just publicity, um, you know, Everyone, I think, grasps onto the idea of like Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. She was a PR professional. And so she was out drinking all the time, out with her clients um, and really trying to sell sex, really. But that's not that's not all of us. That was her specific industry. I mean, we are brand managers. We're publicists. We're social media mavens. We're crisis management therapists. <laughs> honestly you name it i think a pr professional could probably say yep i've done that yeah i feel like a lot of times when i would watch what the pr team does it, it's it's what account service does but more fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely. i think there's a really unique opportunity when you're on a pr team specifically at a full service agency where you get to have this intimate relationship with these clients that not a lot of people have, you know, you have your creative team that may get to meet the client only a couple times and are really getting the direction from account service. Sometimes, sometimes that's the case. But PR professionals, I feel like we're always in the room. We're always hearing the latest and greatest from the clients. We have clients pitching us their ideas after they kind of get in the groove with us and they understand how, you know, what we're looking for, what we're hearing, what, what sticks out to us. I think that then finally excites clients once they grasp that, that it's more than just talking to a reporter. Like, right. Oh, I have an idea. This is an interesting way to look at it. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's kind of, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but public relations isn't the only thing you do. So you, you right now you work for the Houston Grand Opera. So talk through, I mean, you've had a career in public relations and communications for the past 10 years. You've been in different cities all throughout the United States. So kind of, you know, pretend this is an interview. Walk me through your career history. Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh. Um, where do you even begin? <laughs> so I think at the beginning of my career, I had 
I've had this great opportunity where I've had a lot of really strong women as mentors and specifically early in my career that has helped form me into the professional I am. And Molly Lynch of Lynch Communications, that was, she took a chance on me when I was still in school to be her intern. And I think she really opened up the PR door for me, Uh, taught me how to do media relations, you know, talk with clients, all of that. She, I mean, gosh, it, I was what, 20 and she took a chance on me and saw something in me, thankfully back then. And she was so kind, um, but firm and everything and really made everything a learning experience. And so I credit her to, you know, my first steps into the PR world. And that's, you know, that's an incredible experience. I was one of those lucky people that right out of college, I already had a job lined up. That That's, you know, that's not always the case. And so that was really exciting. Um, and then there came this time where I knew I had to leave Chicago. I, I, I love that city so much, <laughs> but it, I needed to spread my wings and see what else was out there and where else my career can go. And um, so naturally, I threw darts at a map. <laughs> That's how everyone decides really big decisions, right? Wars, <laughs> jobs, and, things yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> Just those little things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, admittedly so, I t- took some liberties where the darts landed. <laughs> you know, I wasn't moving into an ocean, but... Uh, so one landed in the general region of DC and one dart landed near Savannah, Georgia. That would have been an experience. <laughs> I don't know if I would have uh, exactly fit in in Savannah, Georgia, but long story short, I ended up getting a job in DC and that was more of a marketing centric job. And, you know, got to, you know, it was, you just jump in and do it. <laughs> and so there was a lot of, on the job learning, which I think has helped me incredibly in so many different ways. And then I, you know, landed a job in Baltimore at a small boutique PR firm where I met Juliet Bogus. And she's absolutely incredible. Uh, One of the best mentors I've ever had the honor of working with. And, you know, thankfully, she still keeps in touch with me and is still teaching me to this day, which I I really appreciate. But the biggest thing I took from her was client management. She had this incredible way about her that even if she disagreed with the client, she had this incredible way of bringing it full circle where the client, instead of getting defensive, they they come around and they're like, you know what we should do? <laughs> and she's like, that, that is a great idea. <laughs> and so just this incredible incredible, incredible PR professional that I got to learn from and has really given me the backbone I have today. You know, I think that's really important when we have these heavy topics right now. Uh, You know, pride, uh, Black Lives Matter. These are all really important topics. And if you're working with a client that may be on the fence about it, having that conversation and knowing how to articulate what you're trying to say without starting a fight in between you and your client is really, really important. And, you know, these are the conversations we need to be having, having, you know, these honest human centric conversations are 
really, really important. And I, I really credit her to that client management side of it. And then I landed in Houston. Uh, <laughs> I met when we were in Baltimore. I you know, met my now husband and he wanted to pursue an education. And who am I to stand in, in his way? So off to Houston we went. Yeehaw. <laughs> kind of, you know, once again, landed underneath a strong woman here in Houston, uh, Sherry Carbonara, Carbonara Group. She was the person that was able to help me take all of these different things that I've learned throughout my career and really mold me into one PR professional. So how to have that client relation, how to you know, pitch the media and really be an expert media relations person. Um, you know, shout out to her <laughs> for sure. Um, and then, of course, where you and I met uh, at the agency we worked at, I had the honor of working with Jessica Manning. And really, the biggest thing I learned from her was how to be a compassionate manager, which I think is a, a dying art form, <laughs> if I could be so blunt in this conversation. And so I've had a very interesting career kind of all over the place, pinging around to different large cities. Um, I mean, having the honor of working in Chicago and now Houston, you know, the, the top four largest cities in our country. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, that, by the way, that was a masterful answer. You just covered like 15 questions I had in one in one answer, which is, which is great. Um, but you touched on, you know, obviously these are really tense times right now. We've got, there's, and I say tense, tense in a good way and tense in a bad way. It's, it's pride right now. We're talking about Black Lives Matter, um, police brutality, everything with coronavirus. And one thing that came out of this time that I noticed is that I, particularly in talking about coronavirus on the light side of things, and then the Black Lives Matters on the heavy side of things, I got emails and notifications from every brand that I have ever been involved with for coronavirus. And it's like, do I need to know that I'm in this with my razor company, you know, that we're going to get through this. And so my, my question for you is, do you think, and obviously I'm, I'm making a joke there, but in, in more serious things like Black Lives Matter and police brutality, do you think that it's a good strategy for every brand, company, business, what have you, to put out a statement about these issues, when is the right time to say something and when isn't? Ooh, heavy question. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're here for a reason, aren't we? There, there has been this incredibly long time where brands haven't said anything, where all of these issues have been just kind of blinders have been put out by brands. Um, I, I mean. Everyone has stayed silent and has had a hard time figuring out what to say or just doesn't want to touch the subject. And that's not the right approach. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of articles out there right now of why is this time different? Uh, you know, I don't know if you've watched the video of George Floyd, but um, I mean, I, I'm choking up just thinking about it. It This can't keep happening. We have, there has to be change and what a great opportunity for brands to be a part of that change to really make a systematic change here uh, and how how brands are squandering that opportunity really doesn't make sense to me 
Now, do you have to come out with the biggest statement like Ben and Jerry's? No, you don't necessarily have to. However, it's incredible that that was their statement. And you know, it wasn't just for the social media likes. It wasn't, we're not just putting up a a black square on our Instagram to show our solidarity. They were making a statement and they are owning it. And you know, things are happening behind the scenes. I think that is the most important thing. Don't just say it for the social media likes. Say it and mean it. Make actions, make your actions speak louder. Um, It's great to show your support. Um, All of that is so important. And you may not know what to say right now. And that's okay. That's okay. Because we're all learning, right? Mm-hmm. And But the point is, acknowledge it. Don't put blinders up to it. Because that alone is making a statement. Consumers aren't dumb. They, Like you said, every single person in your contact list from all the brands you subscribe to said something about coronavirus. Did they all say something about Black Lives Matter? No. And that, you know that, you that you had zero hesitation when you right. just did that answer. So, I mean, even look at NASCAR. NASCAR has done more in, what, two days to a week than the NFL has done for the thousands of Black players or the people of color that play in the NFL. Yeah. Those things, like, are we really comparing NASCAR to NFL right now? NASCAR <laughs> literally one black driver one driver (laughs) yeah and they've done more than the nfl has ever done yeah and so these things consumers know people people grasp onto that like i said you don't have to make the biggest statement but you should let your consumers and your audience know you are listening and you're going to do better why why not be on the right side of history right now yeah, and I think it's important because so much of culture is is in advertising, is in these brands. And so Santa Claus wears red and white because Coca-Cola branded him that way. And that is something that is like as old as Jesus, right? So like and and that was an advertising campaign. And so I do think that is important for brands to get involved in situations like this. And I think you're so right. I think it's so, it can be so paralyzing to think I need to say the right thing. And I don't think, I think we live in this world where you don't necessarily need to say the right thing. You just need to say something. And that something can be, I know this is bad and we're working on it. Absolutely. I, you know, I think you hit that perfectly. This is a heavy subject. We all get that. No matter how we say it, we're not going to make everyone happy. And that's okay. As long as we preface our statements with saying, we're listening and we're learning, we will do better. You don't have to have this perfectly written statement at that time. Would it be incredible if you do? Absolutely. But show so show your compassion. These are these are really, really, really hard times and change needs to happen. And we can only do that if brands are willing to be a part of that change. And again, you don't have to have like this perfect, perfect statement. Just show that you're a human. Humanize your brand. 
Yeah, I think I think that's the most important thing. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway from all of this is that it, it, not not just from a brand perspective, but th- these are humans that we're talking about in every aspect of, 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 of everything. I mean, even if we go back to, to coronavirus and I've talked to a lot of restaurants who are getting pummeled on social media because during this shutdown, their wait time has tripled or their prices have gone up. And it's just like, these are humans trying to feed their families who can't get access to your free range chicken, Karen. So relax for a second and be patient with them. Absolutely. I think, and we're, we're all guilty of it. We want to make everyone happy, right? These, you know, everything with coronavirus, pride, Black Lives Matters, you know, your core group of supporters will support you even more if you're just honest and transparent. You know, those, those key people that come to your restaurant are going to be willing to pay those increased prices if you're just open and transparent. And I think a lot of Houston restaurants are doing an amazing thing right now where outside of what our politicians are having us do, they are taking the needs of us as humans and putting them first. Absolutely. And I think that's really important as consumers. We have a really important role here that we need to pay attention to how companies are treating their people right now and the statements they're making. Yeah. And and I think I think what builds brand loyalty is 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 that right there. It's showing that you're listening, it's showing that you're human and it's showing that you're I mean, just engaging with your audience for, I don't know how many years and Band-Aid's all, all of Band-Aid's lifespan, people have been asking for different skin tone colored Band-Aids. And all they did was release an image and a statement and that's it. And that was so powerful. And it's like, this should have been happening forever, but good on you for doing it now. Absolutely. Yes. A lot of these things definitely should have been happening for a very, very long time the positive is that they are happening now and it, we can't lose momentum moving forward. We have to keep remembering this, this isn't going to go away. This is very important. And I, I think some brands are handling it really well in the fact that they are showcasing what they're doing behind the scenes, how they're, what their plan is to diversify their leadership. That's, that is probably one of the top things that needs to happen with a lot of brands and companies right now. Let's, let's diversify our leadership because the kids coming out of college or the kids going into college right now, they, they're probably discouraged that they're not seeing a lot of themselves up in these leadership roles. And that's where we need to make some really big changes behind the scenes. You know, again, posting a black square or, Showing your solidarity on social media is great until you can't back it up anymore. Um, okay. I'm not the best at trans- transitions, so oh. we're just going to take this hard left turn. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you now work for the Houston Grand Opera, um, and you have worked both agency side and client side. What are, you, what are kind of the big differences, and what are, what's something you like about both of those different ways of working? Sure. So I think the biggest thing for me is working in-house, you're managing a brand voice across different departments. So while it's kind of like a 
little mini agency being on the marketing and comms team at HGO because we serve our you know community and learning department. We serve our special events department. We serve our development and our artistic department, all of which that have different messaging and different goals. But it's my job to make sure that's all in the same brand voice. So it's a little bit of this unique um, skill to take everyone's personalized message and make sure it fits under the Houston Grand Opera umbrella. Whereas on the agency side, I feel like I could, I was able to pop around like, oh, mental health, that's what this client is. And, oh, we have, um, uh, you know, education or <laughs> ears, nose and throat, like you said earlier, or um, a Renaissance festival. And you have all of these different brand voices that don't need to be cohesive with each other. They just need to be cohesive in that silo. So I think that is the biggest difference for me is managing all of this different messaging under one brand voice. Uh, what I love about being in-house, you have a lot more freedom. <laughs> you can pitch idea after idea and it all can happen. It, it's all doable if you have the resources and you can move forward with it. Whereas I, I feel like in the agency world, sometimes clients are really, really hesitant because you aren't part of the uh, organization or you're not technically part of the company. So you're, you're an outsider and I don't know if, if that really makes sense for our company until you build that trust, of course, with the client. So I think those are the two, um, sides of in-house versus agency. Yeah. And speaking of, you can come up with any ideas. Talk to me about pupperas. Oh, pupperas. <laughs> so, well, we haven't done the official pupperas and I'm not going to spoil what that idea is because okay. I would love for it to be a surprise for you all. However, <laughs> I will do the variation of pupperas we did produce. Um, I am a huge animal lover, as you know. I have my three dogs, um, all street dogs. You know, one day you go to the grocery store and you come home with a stray. It happens <laughs> to all of us. Okay. Does it? <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to do something that paired my new love of the arts with my current and always love of, you know, animal welfare. And one of the biggest initiatives we always have at HGO is bringing in new audiences to the opera, breaking down those barriers, barriers of what opera is, and really kind of opening a whole new world to people. And what better way to do that than with beer and puppies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, of course, had to make it a little punny with pupras. And we had this great relationship with the Houston SPCA. We put together um, this event. It was for our young professionals group. It's called ONYP. That's opening night for young professionals. So we knew that they would be more interested in having this fun, uh, you know, partnership with the SPCA. So, of course, we partnered with a bar in the Heights in a nice central location and the SPCA brought a bunch of 
uh, dogs and kittens and puppies. And of course, we had to dress them up to represent each of the operas for the upcoming season. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, for example, one of the dogs was dressed as a jester to represent Rigoletto. And, uh, you know, some of the other ones were dressed as butterflies to represent our holiday mariachi opera. And we had really cute connections and it made for great photo ops. Uh, we had about 100 people show up to the event in some capacity. We did a performance with one of our local artists um, here in Houston. She came out and she sang for everyone. She's a huge part of our mariachi opera. So it was a great connection there. And it was just a really all around good day. We had, I think it was five dogs rescued and, or adopted rather and three cats. So, nice. Yeah, it was it was a fun little yeah. partnership. Um, of course, because of that, because it was so visual and because it had the, you know, the puppies and the warm fuzzies and all of that, we had great media coverage of it. Houston Chronicle sent out a photographer and it was on the front page of their neighborhood section. Uh, we had KHOU came out and did an interview. And, you know, we hit all the talking points, right? So why are you doing this? Um, to break down barriers of opera. Do something fun. Why not? Something out of, out of the ordinary. Something you wouldn't think an opera company would do. And it really left a lasting impression. You know, we had a photographer, our own photographer there. And people requested the photos. They're like, hey, can I have that photo of me and that dog? Or, you know, what have you. And it, it was just a fun event. That's great. And and one of the things that I have loved about working with you is that you have this way of, uh, we talked about, you know, seeing the human in everyone, of coming up with these ideas that are just on paper, it's like dogs, beer, and opera. That, what? But then, but when you think about it, it's like, it's connecting people together and it's so fun, but you're still, it's still strategic. Just like you said, you got the media coverage, you got your message out there. It, 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 it reached the goals that you wanted it to reach while people were having fun. Why can't it be both? Absolutely, absolutely. And we, I would say probably about a third of the people that came were either first time, first time ONYP members or came for the animals really yeah. and stayed to learn about the opera and just hear someone with such incredible talent just at a bar in Houston singing for you and something that you may not in a, in a style that you may not be familiar with is kind of like stops you in your tracks. Right. You're like, what is happening here? And I mean, it was in an area where bars were around and we had it amplified, which isn't normally how um, opera singers sing. They, they, when they're on stage, there, there are no microphones. <laughs> that is just their voice, which is wow. Yeah, when you stop and think about it, that's just, it's kind of incredible. Uh, but we were able to kind of amplify it a little bit more to make our presence known. And honestly, people from other bars came over and they're like, hey, what's happening over here? There's dogs and singing. What? <laughs> <laughs> and so it served its purpose. And of course, you know, you have your marketing materials out there, your brochures. We, uh, of course, because it was in the middle of summer in Houston, we made fans that had an incredible image from one of the upcoming operas and the whole season information. 
And then there it, it talks about, hey, you could get tickets as low as $15. You could go to the opera for $15. And so that was the messaging we put on all of this stuff. And it really made people stop and think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what is the most rewarding thing you've been able to do in your career? I have two really good ones. Okay, you can do two. That's fine. <laughs> wow, that was easy. <laughs> I know. Um, so I would say the most re- rewarding client I've ever had the privilege of working with is right here in Houston at Avenue CDC. I, they've rebranded to just Avenue, um, but they're a community community development organization. Do I need to redo that? I mean, sure, you can. Um, Okay, shoot. This is off the rails now. (laughs) Uh, So one of my favorite clients that I had the privilege of working with was a community development (laughs) corporation. They're called Avenue CDC. They're right here in Houston. And their biggest mission is revitalization without displacement. So going into areas uh, like the near north side and Independence Heights and getting the community involved in their their community and really taking making them showcase the ownership and the excitement of, you know, updating your area without having to displace people. Mm-hmm. So, providing those affordable housing options without pushing people out. And, you know, the biggest hurdle we had was what does affordable housing look like? And they came up with these incredible homes that I always uh, refer to it as like a modern day Pleasantville. So there's this incredible little neighborhood, um, kind of the 610, 45 area. And it's all these very bright homes that are new builds and they're all super affordable. So it's to break down these stereotypes of what affordable housing looks like. Who is in a, the affordable housing? It was also another big message we were pushing. You know, a lot of people have this very negative stereotype that, you know, the media has fed us that affordable housing is. But that that's not it. It's these incredible artists that are trying to bring beautiful art into this world, but aren't being paid for that. And mm-hmm. where do they go? Where do they live? Um, and this this organization provides options to them. For example, they uh, completely converted, I think it was the Jefferson Davis Hospital is what it used to be called. It was the first hospital in Houston, from my understanding. And they changed that into artist lofts. And it was one of my favorite stories I got to work on. Um, not only did it land us on the front page of the Houston Chronicle, which was incredible, right? Yeah. Celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the the flip of this old hospital, but also showcasing the people in there. They are all artists. And you walk in and everything was so colorful because they everyone wanted to leave their mark on this beautiful building. Or they, it was just this incredible community. You walked outside and there were people, you know, playing music together around in a circle. There were these community gardens out in the, the lawn and everything. People had their doors just open as if it was almost kind of like a dorm room. Yeah. This incredible community that I got to be a part of just even for the afternoon. And it was an awesome experience. 
And then they have Avenue Place, which is that modern day Pleasantville I was kind of describing. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, the single parent, whether it's just a mother of a, or a father, trying to do better by their family. And how many options do they have for housing here, you know, that it has public transit close by or, you know, you're close to downtown or whatnot or where they might work. There's not that many options out there. And this organization, you know, works on that. And my goodness, I knew nothing about community development, of course, before I started on this account, but it really opened my eyes to that and really, you know, breaking down the stereotypes of what that is. Um, they have two uh, senior communities, so people that are over 65 and you know, there's not that many options out there. It's right off of the light rail. So they don't need a vehicle. They have everything right there at their fingertips. And, you know, Mary Lawler, she is the executive director. She is just incredible. Um, and she has so much compassion and passion about this. Uh, it, it was really, really an honor to work with that organization. Sounds like it. So I would say my favorite campaign, though, instead of client. Also, sorry, all my other clients. And <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite campaigns I I helped uh, develop, actually, was the John Moore Services 50-year anniversary. Okay. Stay with me on this. <laughs> Sounds riveting. <laughs> I know. So we kind of had free reign on how they were going to celebrate being in the community for 50 years. And when you think about, you know, it's again, one of those situations where we're breaking down negative stereotypes, Uh, you know, careers in the trade industries are, for some reason, looked down upon by a lot of people, whereas, you know, you have these master plumbers and master electricians that have developed this craft and are make have incredible careers and even better salaries (laughs) you know so there's this really weird negative connotation that is also attached to the trade service industry so our biggest goal with this 50-year anniversary was to kind of break down that stereotype and show and again humanize these people and so what we did was I wrote a children's book, <laughs> John Moore, the home repair bear. And we have. <laughs> Sorry, go on. That's fantastic. Uh, and we had this incredible artist, uh, illustrator. His name was Bill. Um, illustrate the children's book. It was it was beautiful. And it was a quick read, easy read. And we, you know, we had a nice uh, children's book editor that worked with us. And then John Moore Services printed, I think it was 50,000 of them. And then to match that, we had 50,000 John Moore, the home repair bear, teddy bears made. We had a little John Moore Services uh, t-shirt on. And while we had to do better than just make those things, we had to deliver them. So we identified 10 different schools around the greater Houston area that were lower income that had, you know, book drives was a big thing for them or, you know, getting community support. So we had 50 John Moore trucks line up and caravan to all the different schools. And once at the schools, we got to make these men and women that work at John Moore 
heroes for the day. Mm -hmm. you know, they're heroes all the time. They do incredible work, but they, we got to put them on display and showcase them. And the experience was incredible. Um, I was in the truck that went to Atherton, which I, it's in the Fifth Ward area here in Houston. And the kids were just so excited. Uh, and they were so sweet. They loved their principal and they loved their teachers. And then we brought out the illustrator, Bill, and he live in front of them illustrated John, uh, John Moore, the home repair bear. And then all of a sudden we put on music and these men and women got to come out with baskets of teddy bears and books. And the little kids cheers uh, will live with me forever. Um, they were so excited. I had several little kids come up to me and ask me if they got to keep the book and the teddy bear because they've never had one of their own. Wow. Right. <laughs> so it, it was literally one of the best moments of my life. Um, not only did we do something incredible for the community, the men and women at John Moore, you know, were so excited to be a part of it. The photos are incredible. These men and women were just, you know, they were so happy to be there and passing out these books and teddy bears. It was just a great feeling all around. And of course we got good media coverage out of it, but that what that wasn't the point of it. The point was to showcase that John Moore has been in the community 50 years and they're going to continue doing great things in the community for another 50 years. And I, I think we captured that in that that campaign. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's that's an amazing campaign. I love that. And I love seeing your passion for it while you're um, talking about it. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay, just a couple more things. Do you have a few more minutes? Oh, I have as much time as you need. Great. Three more hours. Awesome. So we put out a request for questions on social media. Um, so I'm not asking all of them because as you know, some of them were some spam questions. <laughs> um, shout out to Devin. Um, so um, Catherine asked, she said, it's not so much a question. It's a statement. I would personally love to hear her talk about slash brag on her Hurricane Harvey work. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, again, another rewarding uh, campaign to put in the portfolio, right? Um, it was, where do I even begin? Um, <laughs> I guess I should start by saying my uh, client was Gallery Furniture, Mattress Mac. Uh, you may have heard of him. I don't know. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Uh, you know, he, he made the decision early on to open up his furniture stores. He opened up his furniture stores uh, to people that were flooded out of their homes and had nowhere to go. And honestly, it, it was incredible. Um, getting the message on, I, you know, myself personally, I was not affected by Hurricane Harvey at all. I had internet the whole time. It, it almost was like I was watching from a different uh, we lived in a high area in the Heights and, you know, again, no high water right next to us. I had internet, I had power the entire time. We were so fortunate that nothing happened to us, but we were watching our community drown. And, you know, he, he made a snap decision and I think it was probably the most incredible decision he will have made in his life if I could speak for him. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I kind of went along on that ride with him. So at one point, 
I had in my living room in our small bungalow, basically a logistics center set up. So I had my laptop, my iPad, my husband's laptop, and I was, <laughs> you know, looking on Twitter where people were begging for help and calling the store and he was deploying trucks to go help people. I was on the phone nonstop with reporters and just managing that, getting figuring out ways to get reporters to him to, to get that message out that, hey, if you could get to gallery furniture or if you could let us know where you are so they could send a truck and trying to get that messaging out there was, you know, it was, it was insane. Um, yeah. So that, that was just day one. <laughs> and then uh, we continued and the momentum went through January the next year. Uh, you know, we kept talking about everything he was doing and then he did a donation drive where people he was now the hub for people trying to donate what do they do with all of this clothing or this cleaning supplies that people were in such desperate need of so we became a hub for that and i helped with the logistics and then all of a sudden the astros were in the world series or heading to the yeah. world series and what better way to celebrate first responders than to give them tickets and send them to LA for game six of the world series. And I, oh, that's right. You went, I did. And I got to tag along there again, another logistical um, nightmare, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, being at the store at like 4am when we started uh, you know, announcing stuff on the radio and names being pulled out of a bucket and then handed to me and me finding the person and, you know, getting their information and telling them how to get to the airport and to meet us in about, I don't know, a couple hours because we're heading to LA. <laughs> and then, you know, we did Thanksgiving and Easter and uh, his huge Christmas drive where he selects 20 plus people to get all new furniture. And all of those people were um, Hurricane Harvey victims. It, it was really nonstop and incredible. <laughs> yeah. you know, no, no matter your feelings on gallery furniture or mattress Mac, that what he did for the community was, was really, really incredible. I, I think, um, when we did the report, it was over 80,000 Houstonians served at the wow. end of everything he did from, you know, just the the supply drives or, you know, housing people in his furniture stores or sending people to games and all of that because he sent people here in Houston to all of the Astros games. So I think it turned out being, yeah, just shy of like 100,000 people, I think, being served. Yeah, and I think that one of, one of the things that people don't really understand is that a true partnership between an agency and a client is so much more than just the the titles and the things that you see on TV or, or whatever. I mean, we had, you know, Courtney was, was driving Mattress Max car, picking up supplies. We had grocery carts filled with toothbrushes and all, and I went and worked the, 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 um, the clothing drive. And I mean, it was truly an all hands on deck. I mean, it was, it was a pretty incredible experience. Yeah. And that, that, you know, brings us kind of full circle to when you are onboarded onto a client, really immersing yourself into what they do. I think in this case, it was easy to get on board. We were helping our community that was, you know, was 
so vastly impacted. It, it was a no brainer helping out and immersing yourself into that campaign. And I hate to even call it a campaign. <laughs> it was right. just doing the right thing, really. And so, right. again, that brings us back to some of our other questions, where if your brand is doing the right thing and being authentic and being an actual human, you know, the community will will support you no matter what. Yeah, this is very true. Um, okay, there's two things left that I did not tell you about. Okay. <laughs> Just because I thought it would be fun. So I want to do, because obviously we've talked about you work with the Houston Grand Opera. So I've got a two-minute trivia. I've got questions for you. Okay. Oh, no! It's, it's, it's opera meets pop culture. So there should be, it's not like who wrote this, whatever, because I don't even know the terms. So... You've got two minutes. We're going to see how many questions you can answer okay, in two I'm minutes. Really cutting this from the second. Yeah. All right. This hit 1996 Broadway musical and later 2005 movie adaptation is based on Puccini's opera Rent. Rent. Great. This famous rock band's fourth studio album was called A Night at the Opera. Uh, Queen. Yes. Uh, this this hip hopera featuring Beyonce. And her first acting role is based on an opera of the same name. I could see the cover of it. And we recently talked about it. And now I can't even tell you. The pressure has gotten to me. Okay, we'll pass. In this 1990 romantic comedy, the main character goes to an opera. And speaking of her binoculars, says, these are broken. Mine are broken. Pretty woman. Bonus, what is the name of the opera they're watching? La Boheme, Puccini. Traviata. Traviata. Um, Dang it, is what I this, <laughs> this famous Looney Tunes short called What's Opera Doc uses whose music? Uh, I, I don't know. Should I just make something up? Yeah, yeah. Honor. Yes, that's right. As his character Opera Man, this comedic actor would deliver the news by singing operatically. I don't know. Pat. <laughs> Uh, this Broadway show featured a chandelier that swung out over the audience. Phantom of the Opera? Yes. <laughs> uh, you answered all the questions in less than two minutes. <laughs> what were the two I missed? Uh, you missed the name of the opera that they were seeing in Pretty Woman. And then the opera man, the comedic actor who would deliver news by singing operatically was Adam Sandler on Saturday Night Live. Oh my goodness, that's right. Had the hair and the cape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, that was fun, right? Not too hard. No, that wasn't too hard. Okay. Really? Um, no. <laughs> okay, so then the last thing we like to end on is um, some Houston trivia. So we ask these same questions, not trivia, just like trivia is the wrong word, but just Houston based questions. Okay. So just off the top of your head, answer these questions. What's your favorite restaurant in Houston? I really like Plunk. It's in Oak Forest. It's a really great, they have a great wine list, beer list, and incredible food. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite live music venue in Houston? Houston Grand Opera, obviously. Oh, didn't think about that. Uh, besides Houston Grand Opera, that was nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, White Oak Music Hall. That's what I thought you were going to say. What is your favorite touristy thing to do in Houston? 
my favorite touristy thing to do in Houston. I love bringing people to the rodeo. It, I was blown away the first time I went to the rodeo. My now husband, Joe, we were just dating back then. He's like, okay, we're going to go to Houston and then go to the rodeo. And I had no idea what to expect. And it's anytime I bring someone, their eyeballs get bigger than mine. And it's so much fun. It's funny for me to think of a world where Natalie and Houston don't exist. Because when I think of Natalie, I think of, you know, you like cowboy boots and all about Houston and rodeo and, and you love everything Houston. And so it's just like, yeah, that makes sense. But there was a time when you weren't. Yeah. I, I love Houston. I love Houston. Don't tell anyone from Chicago I said that. <laughs> they, we don't hear this there. It doesn't oh. air in Chicago. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite Houston sports team? I guess I'll get on the Houston Astros train. So not the Cubs then got it. Okay. Um, no, just I just to clarify, you chose the Astros over the Cubs. So just want to have that on the record. Um, okay, and then out of these uh, Houston relics that no longer exist, this might be a difficult question for someone who isn't originally from Houston. But which would you bring back? So you've got the Astrodome, Astro World, Magic Island, which I don't know if you know what that is and uh, it was an awesome you know on 59 there's that giant um like egyptian head on the side of the road right by greenbrier yeah it, it was a restaurant and they had live magic shows and it just was this whole thing anyway um marvin zindler oh i feel like that's the one i need to choose but keep going or fitzgerald's Ooh, ooh, tough. I think I'm gonna go with Astro World. Just simply, <laughs> I just want to experience it so bad. It's a fantastic answer. Everyone who has answered this has not said Astro World, and they've all been wrong. Oh, You're the oh, first person I'm, to get it right. Oh, I'm honored to be your favorite interview. So. Well, let's not go that far. Yeah. Um, so honestly, this has been a ton of fun. Hopefully it was, I know you were nervous, but I, I thought it was great. Um, I had a good time. We'd love to have you back. This was, I, I love the conversation that we had. I thought we hit a lot of really great things. Um, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored that you invited me. Well, this is Mark Pereira. This is the Houston Rallies podcast. Thank you so much to Natalie for being here today and just having some some silly fun with us. Um, and uh, please tell your friends, um, rate, subscribe, uh, review, all of that good stuff. And thanks for listening. Are you a local small business owner looking for some help connecting with potential customers? Is there a specific topic you'd love to hear more about? Visit our website at HoustonRallies.com and click Join the Movement. Fill out the form. We'd love to hear from you. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are strong, we are resilient, we are Houston.